Teaching is our passion. We at the Wall Street Skinny are proud to announce that we've joined the advisory board for the iConnections Funds for Teachers initiative, focused on supporting the Ron Clark Academy and its pioneering teaching methods. Through Funds for Teachers, iConnections is dedicated to empowering educators nationwide by providing access to RCA's professional development opportunities. Events are being organized in major cities throughout the year to fundraise and support this incredibly important cause. All proceeds from these events will be directly donated to the Ron Clark Academy, specifically to financially aid teachers so they can participate in RCA's groundbreaking training programs. Please click on the link in our show notes to register for an event in the city nearest you. This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone. Wall Street Skinny. It is summer break edition here. So for those of you who have kids in school or are in school or whatever, it is like the first week here after school ended. And I don't know about you, Kristen, but this is the first year for me as a parent where it actually feels like summer break and not just like parenting in the heat with fewer resources. Well, like, that's, so we haven't started summer break yet. Ours isn't until next week, mm-hmm. but no, we're still, I am still in the phase of O-S-H-I-T. It is summer break and God help me. Like, what, can, <laughs> what camps can I sign my kids up for? You know? Right, right, right. I've so. given each of my kids a week off between the end of school and camp to spend just a little time with me. Aww. And so this morning I played tennis with my oldest and I'm still in my like sweat tennis gear. So that's why we're not doing a video episode today. But next week we are going to take the leap and we are going to record a video recording of the podcast. I'm nervous and excited. The first time we tried to do it, we like didn't know where to look. So we're both like sitting there smiling, like (laughs) gratefully looking at each other. Like, what do we do? (laughs) My biggest problem is that my office is my bedroom. So my background is also a bed. So I was hoping we'd, I mean, we're going to be moved in like three weeks. That's the limitation. I mean, we were talking about this, right? The thing that you're paying for because how expensive it is in the city is just the ability to go access the best restaurants and the Broadway shows and all that. But yeah, it means that you're sort of limited in your space. So you guys definitely have some space constraints there for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny because you're going through that romanticizing phase of leaving Mm -hmm. the city like, oh, it's so great, isn't it? And it's literally my worst nightmare. It's not get a job back there and have to move. So it's not that I feel like it's so great. I mean, I have complained endlessly about a lot of the things, but I think there's just the comfort. Everything is so close by, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's cozy. I guess that's the best way to describe it. And I was talking to you also, my aunt came into the city two two days ago. She was just like, Hey, let's go see a show. Well, it's actually technically John's aunt. So uh, John's aunt came into the city and yeah, I don't know what that relationship is. Aunt-in-law? Aunt-in-law. There's so many. It's like first cousin once removed, second cousin once removed, aunt-in-law. I've never I don't understood know. the removed thing. I think that's marriage, right? 
Well, no. So I am close with my second cousin, uh-huh. but then her kids, they'd be second cousins once removed. Oh, God. And it. then my and children. And what even are is third a second cousins. cousin? It's, you know what a first cousin is, right? That's all I have. That's the only right. kind. Okay. So your kids will be second cousins with their kids. Oh, got it. Yeah, that's second cousin. So then it starts to go down and down and down and down. Oh. But uh, no, so she came into the city and so she got a tickets and my mother-in-law's here helping organize <laughs> our life ahead of the move. And so for my birthday, which is next week, they got tickets to Funny Girl. And so we went and I mean, it was great. You know, Leah Michelle, who whatever you think of her is probably up there as one of like the most talented singers I've ever heard in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's cool, right? It's cool to be able to go do that. It's cool to walk down the street and like see Liam Neeson or Sarah Jessica Parker or whoever it is, like whatever restaurant, you know, you come into the city. I'm like, hey, like what amazing restaurant? You guys go, go to, to the today? same restaurant. I know, like, every I like time, though. Yeah, but, <laughs> I know. Like, but I have the option to do that. You, you have know? The, the, that's option. the whole thing. It's the <laughs> optionality. It's funny because for those of you who follow us on social media, we've been starting to roll out little micro tutorials on some of the option Greeks. And we, we actually just got a question today from someone who follows us on social media asking about trading equity options. And we can get into that and in much more detail at another time. But New York is all about option premium. Mm -hmm. You pay a fortune in rent Mm -hmm. so that you can move at the drop of a hat. You're not going to. And everyone (laughs) sits there in the same apartment, renting the same apartment in perpetuity, complaining every year about the rent going up. But the reality is, is very few people actually own. Well, but by the, the way, option. why would you? Because it's so expensive. As someone who owns in New York, it it's is very awful. expensive I should, to it own. It was the well, absolute the worst investment. So high. Yeah. Oh, it was our absolute worst investment ever. I mean, we're the only people in all of the United States whose whose housing price since 2015 has gone down. Well, not and average housing prices in Manhattan, right? It's just unfortunately you got in Manhattan. Kind of pick your, well, the, like Brooklyn has gone. Up. Brooklyn has exploded. Brooklyn's well, Brooklyn exploded. Transformed. Yeah, but Manhattan. It can depend where you're talking about. I mean, we're in Chelsea, so that's that's gone down. But I mean, we were talking to our real estate agent because we're not going to sell. We're holding on to it. We have a nice low mortgage, so we're going to rent it out. We barely will break even, even with astronomical rent, because the cost of carrying carrying is so high. And that is with a 2% mortgage. And so, no, it's HOA maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. And so even though people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much these landlords are getting. It's like, nope, they're they're breaking even. I mean, if they bought all cash, maybe. Yeah. Owning in Manhattan is a terrible investment. Just the cost of living in Manhattan is just uh, unfortunately and, yeah. really problematic, yeah. right? And, and don't get me started on all the fees because when you buy and sell in Manhattan, you also have the 1% mansion tax. You have mm-hmm. the mortgage taxes. It's like 13% round trip. Yeah. To break even. No, that's, that's a lot. Insane. Yeah. But so (laughs) after talking about, yeah, after talking about how expensive (laughs) it is to live in Manhattan, let's now try to sell you guys on the idea of basically being for all intents and purposes an unpaid intern because of the cost of your housing. But here's the thing. Well, it is, I think, especially for parents with kids where you have to get a babysitter and it's so hard to actually get out as a 20 something who's interning in the city. That is where I feel like you are getting a lot of value. I don't know about uh, actual monetary value, but I think as far as, yeah, yeah, yes, the experience, the opportunity, and I think the 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 future monetization 
Um, so sorry, in case you guys didn't get in that convoluted lead up <laughs> today, we are going to talk about the summer internship. And now a lot of our listeners are actually probably starting their summer internships this very week. Mm-hmm. So this is an exciting time. You may be in training or you might just be hitting the desk. So we're going to talk a little bit about the structure of the summer internship, some do's and don'ts to hopefully set you up for success. And at the end, we're going to talk about getting that offer, Mm -hmm. if you can make it happen, and B, what to do if you don't get that offer. And I think you guys may remember from our personal stories, I actually didn't get the full-time offer that I wanted at the end of my summer. And Kristen, you didn't even have the summer internship. I mean, I did not. No, you know, I jokingly sometimes say that you started in the mailroom, but it's true. (laughs) You, you started in a totally different city. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Different and city, different, different product banking. Yeah. It was just to get the line item on the resume. So, yeah. So I will talk more to about how to convert that, that yeah. into a full time offer that you exactly. maybe want. Yep. So when you get the summer internship offer, it's typically for an eight to 10 week program in whatever city you're going to be in. We're going to talk about New York City specifically, because mm-hmm. that's simply where the biggest majority of the opportunities will be. Yeah. Listen, if you're going to try to find short-term housing for eight to 10 weeks in any major city, that is going to be astronomically expensive. I don't care oh, yes. who you are and where you are. Mm-hmm. And if you are just taking your summer intern salary and hoping mm-hmm. to cover your living cost, you're probably going to be operating at a loss. So yeah. most of these internship opportunities come with some kind of discounted housing offer. That's um, oftentimes in, in a dorm. Right. In New York <laughs> City, dorm. I stayed mm-hmm. in the NYU dorms. Um, that's a really popular option. There are several other options because there's only so many dorm rooms and there's a yeah. heck of a lot of summer interns coming through every summer. Yeah. So, the School uh, of Visual Arts is another big one. SVA, it's down there also in like West Village area, mm-hmm. which is which is an awesome place to be spending your summer. But it really is. Yeah. So it'll just depend on the firm that you're working for. But if they give you some kind of housing option, do not be stuck up. Take <laughs> that housing option. It is well yeah. worth it. Yeah. I had a one room dorm room with a woman who ended up uh, she wasn't in that summer intern program. She actually is a news broadcaster now. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so cool. You remember, you are not just trying on the firm for size. You're trying on being a grown-up for size, right? <laughs> like you really are. Yeah. And there's going to be a big adjustment in a lot of different ways. But the last thing you want to be worrying about is like the the grown-up stuff of like your utility bills and yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> working actually, with a yeah. real estate agent. Yeah. 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 And so when you get that summer analyst or associate offer, you're likely going to be hired into one division of a bank and you won't have the option opportunity likely to rotate through the entire firm, but you will be hired in with a big analyst or associate class that will span those divisions. So you'll get exposure to other summer interns who are having those experiences and do not sleep on networking with them because you'll want to hear what they're doing. And you never know, you might find that you hear what one of those people's doing and you're like, that sounds great. Well, I was going to say a lot of times, you know, one of the big benefits of doing this is you can try on being an investment banker for size and decide, you know what? I hate it. That sales and trading thing looks a lot more cool. So when you decide to now I want to interview for that particular role. It's like, okay, you have an interview with someone in that division. And it's like, hey, like my friend, Mike, it it just, it makes it a lot easier to interview, but networking with people in other divisions is huge. Yes. 
And so within that division, you will likely be given the opportunity to rank the different desks that you think you might be interested in interning on, but you're going to be doing this with such little information. Mm -hmm. You might be like, all my friends say financial sponsors is cool. Well, guess what? There's only so many seats in a given desk in a given Mm -hmm. summer. And guess what? That group might not have any deal flow then. And that could be the most boring group and they might Mm -hmm. not be hiring any full-time analysts. Right. So be open-minded about it. Realize that you know so little about what the actual day-to-day is mm-hmm. like on these desks. And I would argue you don't have to be super picky in terms of choosing those desks. Just try to set yourself up for success in a product that you think you're interested in and yeah. be open-minded to learning about other desks as you go. Yeah, I agree with that. You're going to rank a couple of desks in descending order of how much you want to work on them. But you'll actually probably get assigned based on the actual needs or capacity of those desks to deal with a summer intern. There simply may not be the need for more than one or two interns on any given desk at any given time. Right. And you won't even hit the desk right away. When you Mm -hmm. first land in whatever city you're going to, you are going to start with training. And so Mm -hmm. this is something that Kristen has been doing for a long time is the training for these incoming summer interns. So Kristen, can you talk a little bit about what people should expect in those first kind of three to five days? Yeah, sure. And so I do think it's also worth noting that when you're going through the training program, a lot of times the banks will in fact bring you to say a New York or maybe like a Hong Kong. They will do all the training in one place. So even if you are going to like the Charlotte office, you actually might be flown into New York for the week of training. And this Um, is for summer internships and not just full time. Interesting. And so the training will often be anywhere from, say, like three to five days. Now, in that time, depending on whether you're doing sales and trading or investment banking, the actual what you're learning can vary. I will say the sales and trading programs, I think there is opportunity for improvement in a lot of the programs that I've seen. I used to joke that I got anyone we know know, is working on that. Um, when I went through, I don't know how you felt. I felt like I got dumber in the program I had. Right? This was like 15 years ago for sales and trading. But the banking programs, they're actually really good. And so you'll usually have something like a day of accounting. You'll have financial modeling where you're learning Excel. You're doing the shortcuts. And then you do valuation. Maybe if you're going to, say, a private equity firm, you might have a day of building a leverage buyout model. But It's anywhere from like three to five days. It's a quick program and then you hit the desk. Yeah, Um, my training in the fixed income division was basics of bond math mm -hmm. and it was minimally Mm hands-on. So it was a lecture format with no real opportunity for you to master the knowledge and show Mm -hmm. that you could demonstrate like, oh, I get this. I can now go out and apply this. It was like, here's how you discount cash flows in the future. Now go understand how bonds trade in the market. It's like, that's not how it works. (laughs) I remember, and granted, this was for my full time, but we had this guy who led our program and he, first of all, was running these trading simulations. But the thing that I remember is he he left his mic on when he went to the bathroom. Oh no, oh no, how crazy. Like, uh, the other thing that I think is worth noting is that your analyst or summer analyst size can be anywhere from four people to a couple hundred people. So when I started training, there was this one bank in particular, I remember, and they had such a large analyst class size and the auditorium that they used just wasn't big enough. So they would have the auditorium room that there was the instructor and he was at the podium, but then they had an overflow room. And so these poor people wow. in the overflow room would have to like watch him on TV. They felt like outcasts. So it was a joke. 
Um, yeah. So my training class for my summer analyst class was about 25 to 30 people. We were taken off site to a classroom somewhere in some random office building that our firm had rented out. And, and that was a big shock at first, because remember coming from your junior year in college, when you're sleeping till 2 PM, all of a sudden now being in a lecture based classroom every day from nine to five, that was a shock for me right out of the gates because I was like, mm. oh, okay, this is yeah. pretty dry. I'm sitting in this classroom all day long. I, I, I'm not used to this. I'm used to being yeah. able to like get up and walk around, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a big shock. And yeah. then every night for the first few nights of training, there was some kind of networking or bonding event where yeah. you'd have the opportunity to either meet with people who are on the desks that you would be joining yeah. or just get to know the other analysts in both our division and, and across other divisions. Yeah. So all of that was a little bit of a shock at first. Then when you actually land on the desk, it is being thrown into the deep end of the pool. So you will be assigned a desk. Again, hopefully it has some relationship to what you listed in your order of preferences of desks that you'd like to be assigned to, but not always. Right. Um, And now you're not starting at nine and leaving at five. If you're in sales and trading, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you better be on that desk by about six or six 30 in the morning to make sure that you're the first person in and you are going to be aiming to be the last person out. Um, and we'll talk about kind of behavioral etiquette in just a bit. So I think most people expect to show up at this internship and be like, okay, what tasks have I been assigned? Like, what are the metrics by which I will be evaluated? How do I know if I got an A or a B plus? Um, Well, and that's where it's it's hard for a lot of people because you are so used to the structure of school mm -hmm. where it's set up in such a way you learn a concept, maybe you have a problem set, maybe you have a test, right? But like we've, for how many years since you were five, like there was this very almost like formal way of learning and now you're thrown into this place where, by the way, what you were trained on might have nothing to do with what the actual job is that you're doing. Correct. I mean, you're learning bond math. Well, if you're now in CDO structure, you don't know what the heck any of the stuff is that you're doing. And so a lot of what makes this difficult is that A, you might have no idea like what the problem is. You don't necessarily know what the tools are to figure out that problem. You don't know what the resources are. And so you're not only getting up the learning curve of you have this unstructured like situation where you need to learn everything. And it it can be really jarring for people to actually orient themselves and right. figure out how to deal with that. These oh. internships are going to have varying degrees of structure. And the reality is, is it will totally depend on the desk that you land on, on the firm that you have ended up at. It can also just depend on what's happening in the real world of whatever the product is that the desk you are on deals with all day, right? Right. Maybe they're in a really crazy time, high deal flow, high trade activity, or they might have nothing going on. All of those things are going to contribute to the type of intern experience that you can expect to have on those desks. And there's really no good way to predict it. And that's the bottom line. So, and by the way, the experience at a desk at one firm could be totally different than the experience at that same desk at another firm, just based on the actual structure of that desk. So instead of training, when there's a third party person who is coming in, who is given the explicit task of teaching you, You are now showing up on a desk that may have 
one of any number of kind of structures to it. There could be an analyst, associate, VP, senior VP, executive director, managing director, all there together. You might have three MDs and an analyst. You might have an MD and a VP. Who knows what your structure is going to be? The junior most people on that desk are likely going to be the ones responsible for you. And so the structure of your program is going to be determined by how much time and bandwidth and capacity and oversight they are willing and able to give to you. And that's a really, really critical thing to understand that you might not be showing up on a desk and have a playbook and a syllabus for how your summer is going to go. And so that's exactly what you were just talking about, Kristen, is embracing the idea of figuring out what the problems are and how to solve them. It's very different from school. Well, and I think, too, what makes it a little challenging is it depends, again, on just the personality of the people on your desk. So when I started, I had someone who loved to teach and it also was a quieter time. So Mm -hmm. he would like sit down every day with me for half an hour, take me into a conference room and just like explain something. And I would like learn so much from him. Very rare Mm -hmm. and very rare. Right. But then you also could be in the situation like I know Jen, you had where it was a bull market. Things were crazy and like there was nothing for you to do. And so now you're sitting there like, give me some work to do. And the people are like, I just want to get my job done. And there's this annoying intern asking me for, for work. And it's, it's a lot of effort actually in some cases to get you to do something because they have to teach you how to use the resources. You might not even have the resources, every little thing they have to explain to you. So it is, I don't want to say a burden, but there is a lot that they have to do to get you up the curve to be then ultimately a productive member of the team. That's exactly right. I mean, your ability to be productive day one is sometimes out of your control in a lot of ways. And you have to find a creative way to be productive and add value. Right. So let's talk about this. So I can give you guys examples of kind of the range of projects that you could have. So for example, when I started in my summer internship, I was assigned to the bank loans desk. I think I've talked about this before on here about how I thought I'd be interested in like the stories of companies. Mm -hmm. So originally I thought that might make me more interested in investment banking. Then when I started in fixed income, I was like, well, stories factor into credit, right? Like mm-hmm. what's the story with this company? Are they going to go bankrupt today or not? Yeah. So I thought that's what I would be more attracted to. So I specified an interest in everything in credit or distressed areas of fixed income versus say interest rates or mortgages, because I thought there would be more of a story there. So I was assigned to the bank loans desk and guess what? The bank loans desk had nothing for me to do. Mm -hmm. And you touched on this a little bit, Kristen, but there is a huge barrier to entry just as far as even getting the systems on a computer that you need to be a fully functioning member of a team to get a Bloomberg terminal, like an individual Bloomberg terminal. I mean, we don't know, but I think that's easily a six figure cost. Oh, easily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Again, you're getting paid like $10,000 for the whole summer. You guys do the math, right? It's not worth it for them to get you a Bloomberg terminal. No. Then you've got all of the different market data feeds. Those are all licenses that can cost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. Mm -hmm. So you may not have access to the same kind of systems and information that everyone around you does. You might have like Excel, PowerPoint, email. What's the banking thing? Cap IQ, which I don't even know what it is. (laughs) I guess that's something in banking that allows you to access banking market data. Yeah. It basically tells you what is the size of a company? What is the stock price? What is the expected earnings per share? It allows you like one place where you can pull a lot of the filings. It sort of just creates a central base. Database. Exactly. It makes life a lot easier. 
Got it. So if you don't have access to those systems, then you're limited in terms of your productivity. You're handicapped from day one, right? So when I joined the bank loans desk, the most junior person on the desk at the time was a VP and he literally had nothing for me to do. We, I spent the first week basically twiddling my thumbs, offering Mm -hmm. to get coffee desperately. Like, please (laughs) let me get you guys coffee. Let me add value. Right. Finally, the VP came up with the earth shattering idea of me to update their contact list, which was an Excel spreadsheet. This was before the days of the sophisticated client relationship management software that everybody uses now. So I, I mean, I poured my heart and soul into updating and formatting that client contact list to make it the world's best contact (laughs) list. But at the end of the day, I wasn't able to demonstrate anything of value and I wasn't able to really learn much. And, and I was fortunate that they recognized that and went to the head of the program. We're like, please give this girl something else to do. I think that's kind of like a worst case scenario is basically where I started. A desk that doesn't need or want an intern and has nothing for them to do. I was then given a project outside of any specific desk working directly for the head of North American sales. Again, the guy who actually interviewed me for the job and I failed to perform basic arithmetic in front of him. I guess he was just so moved by that experience that he decided that I should come work directly for him as a summer analyst. And he was doing an analysis within the entire division of all of the salespeople who had done what they called big ticket trades. Those were trades that the salespeople had brought into the firm that generated sales credits, that funny money by which salespeople are evaluated on their ability to bring risk into the firm on trades that had generated more than a hundred thousand or 500,000. I forget what the threshold was Mm -hmm. in sales credits. And so I went into his database, put together a a list of all those trades, the corresponding salespeople who were attributed to them and built kind of like an interview schedule where I could sit down and interview these people. And I could clearly see what this guy was trying to do. He was trying to give me exposure to all the different desks, to give me exposure to all the different senior salespeople who were executing these trades and give me an understanding of how people were adding value to the firm. It's the kind of thing that on paper sounds like a great analyst project. And he really wanted to understand what were the key drivers of like, incoming big risk. The problem with this is trying to schedule an interview with a salesperson on a busy desk is right. it, it, like, no, it's impossible, right? Because I would email these people. And first of all, another thing we're going to talk about is the etiquette of addressing people. I'd be like, Mr. Smith. Okay. You don't call anybody Mr. or Ms. or Mrs. on a trading floor, but I'd be like, Mr. Smith, my name is Jennifer. And I am looking to interview you about a trade you did six months ago. Mm -hmm. Are you available this afternoon at like two 30? Not knowing that that was like when the fed was announcing or like there was a bond auction going on or whatever, there would be like something crazy that I was totally insensitized to because I didn't know. Right. right? Well, that's the hard thing too. It's like, you don't know what you don't know, but like you don't know. Knowing that also is bad because it's like, clearly she doesn't know that there's clearly she's not paying attention to the fact that I'm so busy and important. So I'd get these responses like I'm free for 11 and a half minutes, maybe between the hours of 715 and and eight. Mm -hmm. And I'd show up for these interviews and they'd be busy or they'd be gone or they had forgotten. So it was, um, it was hurting cats, quite frankly. And now having had all of that experience that I did in sales, the idea of remembering what I had for lunch 24 hours ago was totally unfeasible, let alone what the mechanics were of a trade that I did eight months ago. Okay. Unless something went terribly wrong. Like those are the ones you remember. The good thing about it was I did get exposure to all the different desks. The bad thing about it was that 
I don't think I really built those like lasting <laughs> mentor advocate relationships that you want to build with yeah. people as you're an intern. The yeah. impression that I was giving people was like, hi, I'm here to ask you a question that you probably can't really answer and yeah. basically just annoy you during the middle of the day. Right, right, right. So, yeah. so that was like a meh project. A for effort to the head of North American sales. C for actual outcome. Right. The good thing about that experience was that in seeing all these different desks, I was able to identify a desk that did have a need for a summer intern. They hadn't been allocated the right number. They were really busy. They needed more hands on deck. And they had a good number of junior people who were willing to work with interns. And they were like, we'd love to have you come rotate with us for the final few weeks of your summer. And that's when I started on the interest rate sales desk. And that's Mm -hmm. ultimately where I focused the rest of my career was in interest rates. And that was a great experience because they helped me think through a trade idea and gave me the project of pitching that trade idea and presenting it to the team at the end of the few weeks that I had. Walk us through how the trade would perform in these different scenario analysis analyses. Walk us through the math. Walk us through why you're pitching it. What are the economic conditions that you're projecting? And that was really exciting and rewarding for me. So again, that was like a, a good B plus, A minus. Yeah. And when I ultimately was working full time, by the time I was a associate VP, I was actually kind of running part of the summer analyst program for the bank that I was working at, helping train the summer analysts. And I remembered those experiences that I had, and I didn't want anyone to have that experience again. I didn't want anyone to just feel like they were floundering. So we would have them do all kinds of cool things. We would give them little research projects. We would give them like a syllabus of things that they could be graded on because I knew how challenging that was. We would have them build mock portfolios and we would have them compete against each other for who could make the most money in like a simulated trading environment. And that was, I mean, not to toot my own horn and be like, I was the best person (laughs) at training, but like I learned from how bad it was for me and never wanted anyone to have that experience again. A lot of, especially the smaller firms where they have the resources. So Mm -hmm. there will be someone in HR who actually can take charge and manage the program better. And you know, I've been talking a lot about the experience that I had in the fixed income side of things for the internship Mm -hmm. and the projects that I had. I feel like we should touch on some projects that people might be working on or what that might look like in other divisions. So when you were working in investment banking, what kind of projects were you giving to the summer interns coming through? So usually when they would start, I mean, you have to get them up the learning curve, but Mm -hmm. we would be working with them and helping them to understand the model. And so maybe if we had some kind of like low level stakes assignment come in, we would say, Mm -hmm. Hey, we need you to help with this leveraged view. Now, again, I was in the financial sponsors group at that time. Right. So the types of projects that were happening is Mm -hmm. we would have these private equity firms would Mm -hmm. want to participate in potentially an auction where they're going in and trying to buy a company. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, they need to understand like how much debt can they take on? And so as the financial sponsors group, we would be building a little leverage buyout model, working with our leverage finance team and capital markets, and then going back to the client. And so as the intern, you're going to be helping to build that model. I mean, that's that's like best case scenario. People want to build the models. Now, realistically, they're also going to be doing more of like the comps. Comps is something uh-huh. in investment banking that people are really not usually that excited about. But essentially with comps, you are trying to calculate the equity value, the enterprise value, and the various multiples. Mm-hmm. And so you are oftentimes like creating 
almost like a database. You'll have this massive Excel file and you'll have mm-hmm. each of the different companies in your sector. Mm-hmm. And those will have to be updated every time there's earnings announced. And that's something that an intern might have to work on. You say building the model. Mm-hmm. Like, are you saying, hey, here's a blank Excel workbook. Yeah. Go yeah. build a model. Is it already built and they're just doing the inputs? Walk me through what that looks like. Yeah. So look, it can vary. I was at a larger firm where we had a very formalized standard model. And so in the financial sponsors group, you would mostly be entering in the inputs. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be, oh, you have a blank Excel, you have to build it. Mm -hmm. Now, in project finance, I actually did have to build a lot of models from scratch. So as an I, intern, though, like well, I wasn't would... an intern there, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying if you were an intern in that group and uh-huh. you are now going to be staffed on something, well, you actually might work with an analyst. And by the mm-hmm. end of the summer, yeah, you might be building a model. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really can vary depending on what are the formal models that people have. Mm-hmm. And then what is the specifics of the ask? of Mm -hmm. the client. Because by the way, even when I was in financial sponsors, we had like a formal model. I actually did have situations where I would have to build a model from scratch because the model didn't fit the project. And so again, if you're an intern working on that, yeah, you will have to do that. Now you're not going to be doing it yourself. You will have Mm -hmm. guidance from your analyst who is going to be working with you. And then they'll often work with an associate. So it's not like here, just go build a model and figure out how to do it. But yeah, in the beginning of the summer, they're going to probably be more of like, update this PowerPoint slide. But hopefully by the end, they'll actually be building the models. There's also a lot of updating PowerPoint slides too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, that's fine. And what about in the capital markets? I know Mm -hmm. that you know some people who had experience in equity capital markets, debt capital markets. What should an intern expect that an average project might look like for them that they'd be working on? It's going to obviously vary group by group, but I spoke to my brother who was in the equity capital markets division. And so he was, by the end of the summer, actually, I think his analyst had either gone on vacation or they quit or they left. And so he was essentially working as the analyst. And oh, was wow. That's on a IPO. big opportunity yeah. though. Like yeah. as a summer intern, that's actually yeah. kind of a dream a is that deal. they actually yeah. need you, you know, and yeah. you're not just doing some like fluff project. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. No, so he was staffed on an IPO and he was helping to, I think, keep track of the orders. So build the book. And we oh, talked cool. about this yeah. Yeah, in the debt capital markets mm. episode where we were going through what it looks like to price debt. Well, pricing equity is going to be similar. You're building a book. And so he was actually helping to create that book. And to build so, the book. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's, listen, mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing where it probably doesn't involve like too many brain cells as far as the task itself. But like the stakes of a task like that are pretty high, right? If Fidelity puts in an order for a billion bonds and you accidentally type in, you know, a hundred million, that's going to be a big problem. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. even if you're not necessarily learning anything technical there, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just a big magnitude of responsibility for someone who's still in college. Yeah. And that's why too, you know, everyone jokes about interns getting coffee. I talked about that on the bank loans desk as my way to add value. Sometimes getting coffee is not just like a demeaning or hazing ritual. It's actually a way to add value. And like, I loved that when I was an associate and a VP and there were summer analysts, I'd be like, oh, thank God. I can't even get off the desk to pee. Could you please get me another coffee? And they'd be like happy to do it. And you know what? If they did it with a smile, if they came back fast, if they got my order right, 
right if they had my change or whatever. I was always like, thank you. You did a good job. You made a positive impression. So even something as silly as that is actually a great data point for you to show everyone that like, hey, listen, you gave me the world's simplest task. And not only did I not screw it up, I went above and beyond and I did a great job. That matters. Mm -hmm. When I was on the converts desk, we would be giving the intern. He was this MIT grad, really bright. And we were able to give him projects like, hey, help us price this convert. And he was actually able to do it. Or here Mm -hmm. we need to update these pages. And he did it. And the quality of the work, like there weren't mistakes, there weren't formatting issues. He was able to do it. And we trusted him. And as he Mm -hmm. built trust, we were able to give him more projects that would normally be given to an analyst, but we would actually be giving it to him because we were like, okay, we trust you. Right. So I think that's a really good point that if you are on a desk that has an actual need for someone to be in a producing role, they will give you as much rope as you want to hang yourself with. Right. As soon as you start demonstrating competence. So I think that those are kind of the two critical pieces to the internship is finding the desk that has the need for you to do actual work. And then once you've demonstrated competence, scaling up and up and up. Right. Well, and one other thing that I think also separates banking from sales and trading is Mm -hmm. in banking, you don't need a lot of those systems. And so really Mm. the big thing that as an intern you need to do is demonstrate that you are able to build the models. You are able to do the work. You're able to not make massive like formatting mistakes and that people can trust your work. So Mm -hmm. you probably will get a little more responsibility versus like your experience where you just didn't have the systems. Like they can't pay Mm -hmm. 10 hundred thousand dollars, however much for you to get Bloomberg access and all that. Whereas in banking, you don't need that. (laughs) Right. It is just such a big adjustment from college in every single aspect. And I mean, think about this, right? So we talked a little about being the first one in and the last one out. I mean, Kristen, your brother was an Olympic level swimmer when he was in college, right? I mean, How do you juggle that kind of lifestyle with being an intern? So it's funny because I didn't have an internship. I knew basically you need to have one if you want to get the full-time offer. So I said to my brother, I don't know if you want to do finance, but at least get an internship. So you keep your option open. We were talking about options, right? You, you want the option. He was a swimmer and he told me, he was like, I had never pushed my body that far because every day you're waking up at six to go train, to go swim. You're then working all day. You then have events at night where, by the way, the networking is one of the most important things. And you're waking up the next day and you're doing it all over again. And so it was a lot. And there's actually, it's like a joke. You have three things in life, right? You have work, social life, fitness. Well, guess what? You can only pick two. And by the way, when you're an actual employee, well, how do you date? <laughs> I mean, There are hard. great efficiencies to working as a, as a woman on a trading floor with all men as I manage of. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Jen. But no, I mean, it was hard. Even when he was an employee, he trained for Olympic trials. He went to Olympic trials and he somehow did make it work, but it was it was a huge culture shock for him. Yeah. People think they're burning the candle at both ends in college. You have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, you touched a little bit on that networking thing, Kristen. We cannot emphasize enough how critical that is. We keep talking about data points of interactions, right? Every single interaction you have with someone is a chance to make a good impression. 
And not only do you want to make a good impression on the people on your desk, you Mm -hmm. want to make a good impression at the random bowling event they have for the interns on a random Wednesday on some random person. And you never know that could be the person who is going to be your mentor or your advocate and the critical factor in you getting that full time offer. Well, not only that, fast forward 20 years. I mean, you and I, gents, like now we're into our career almost 20 years. And those people who we knew in training, they are now people who are, they are the MDs. These are people who are going places, who are going to be successful and building your network. Look, it's not even just important for your career, but I mean, my brother, his groomsmen in his wedding were people from his training class. It is such an opportunity to make these lifelong friends and also networks. <laughs> I mean, yes, also yes, yes. future career. Well, and you've but, talked yeah. a lot about how you switched among different desks, Kristen. And so yeah. much of that was you levering yeah. the friendships and connections yeah. that you made with people who weren't necessarily in your same desk yeah. or in your same division. Yep. But when, you know, the rubber hits the road, right, you want to be able to call those people up and say like, hey, I met you two years ago on a yeah. boat cruise around Manhattan. Uh, yeah. Can you yeah. help me get a job on your desk? And you know what? People are willing to do that. They'll be like, yeah, sure. Right. Why not? Yeah. We had a good time that night. You seem normal. Like I'll help you get a job. So those can be invaluable relationships. And we did get a question from someone on social media who said, okay, well, you say be the first one in the last one out. Well, what if you're a summer intern and you've got one of these networking events and that's a huge priority. And guys, listen, use your judgment. Okay. You're being treated like a grown up at this point. So if you are on that bank loans desk that I was on and it's 630 and you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, you have nothing to do. And you've asked everyone on the desk if they need help with anything five times over. And the answer has been no, you can say, Hey guys, I have this scheduled event for the analyst program tonight. Is it okay if I duck out before you do, or as Tom Sandoval would say, dip out and (laughs) and go to this thing. And nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be yes. Sorry, totally. VPR reunion finale tonight. I will say too, I think that as people are starting to get more sensitive to work-life balance, a lot of times your MD, they are cognizant of these events. They know how important they are. And so if they got an email from HR saying, can you let your analysts out a little early? But if you're working on a big project, you know, don't just duck out. Like if you've been given an assignment and mm-hmm. you are in the middle of a big project and yeah. it is urgent and due and you get that vibe from your desk, <laughs> you let them know, hey, be like, hey, listen, I've got this thing tonight. I'm going to get this project done. I am yeah. going to try to get to that as soon as I am done, if that's okay. And they might be like, go, go ahead. Sure. No problem. We you can know- wait. Or they'll be like, yes, thank you. Read the room. You, you know? know what that reminds me of? Back to succession. I went back and rewatched episode one and it was Kendall was working on some merger. His dad, Logan, it was his big birthday. And he said, well, you know, come if you think it's okay to come. And then he comes and he was like, well, now you're not the CEO anymore because you came. Like that was a test. I mean, not really. And <laughs> no, then at but the that's end, right. yeah. That's right. Sometimes these things are a test and hopefully increasingly culturally, that's not as much of a thing as it was when I was (laughs) an intern, but that was definitely a thing. There were some senior people who would almost try to trap summer interns. I know. Yeah. It it really is a way of like weeding them out and and, yeah. So just be careful, right. And use your good judgment. And I think that does get into the other topic that we should hit on of 
etiquette, overall mm-hmm. etiquette and how to behave. Yeah. Okay. And listen, I know that everyone's on TikTok and like one of the number one things about working at one of these firms, there is no personal cell phone use. I don't mm-hmm. care if you see your MD doing it or your VP or whomever, your phone should not be anywhere near you at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also a reason for that because insider trading and everything. So the banks need to monitor what's going on, which is a little, feels a little big brother, but at the same time, you don't want to look distracted too. Right. So there's, there's confidential, it's not yeah. even just, it's Com- not even yeah. just insider trading. There's just confidential information flowing yeah. throughout these institutions. Yeah. Even just a photo from the trading floor of you being like, Oh, check out my desk. You might accidentally capture what's on someone's computer yeah. screen. And yeah. if that gets out, that can be a massive legal problem. Right. So please just be aware that the rules of your friends who are working at like a regular corporation over the summer, those rules don't apply to you. If you're on your phone, you want to look because you're not general. working. Because, because you're, you're not, not working. working. You yes, want to look yes. busy. Yes, yes, yes. You want to look busy. But also appearances matter. And it was funny because I was talking to my brother. He actually sat across from me on the trading floor when I was working at Morgan Stanley. So I got to see everything he did. But I asked him, I was like, what was your number one mistake as an intern. And he was like, oh, it was wearing this green shirt that I was told by my boss, who P.S. was the head of ECM at the time. Equity Capital Markets. Equity Capital Markets. I wore this green shirt he told me not to wear. And I Why did he tell him not to wear it? I think it was like this lime green shirt. It was totally not appropriate. Like and a button down lime I don't green even know. Shirt? But so he wore it I on want the specifics floor. on the shirt. I, I will find out. Shirt. I'm going to, I'll get a photo of the shirt. He's like, I was surprised I got that offer because like he was actually a big, a big no-no. Also different firms have different dress, dress codes. codes. Right. And so some firms are still business formal, meaning you should be wearing a Lean suit. Lean with suit and tie. Yeah. A suit and tie. My brother, he did say, he's like, my number one takeaway is look, you can't go wrong with a dark suit, probably should be navy, and an ironed white shirt if you're a guy. Right, right, if right. you're a girl, you have a little more leeway. But if you're a guy, yeah, don't wear a I lime mean, green shirt. Definitely <laughs> check the dress code before you show up. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm curious to know, when we were working in the early to mid-2000s, casual Friday was like still yeah. a controversial thing. Now in the post-work-from-home era, I don't know how much like casual whatever has seeped mm-hmm. through and tech bro culture of wearing a sweatshirt all the time. But the old adage of dress for the job you want, not the job you have, I know it's like, oh, why does it matter what you look like but the reality is if you want people to take you seriously there are just certain things that are still culturally required and mm-hmm. listen it's not so bad right I love uh, they're expensive but like I love Veronica Beard blazers you got and, me like, into that I know it's a very like I don't spend money on purses or whatever, but like I love having a nice jacket. And the reality is, you only need one or two of those. Yeah, you can you can you only need one or two of them. They're investment pieces, and you can wear like yoga pants under one and look awesome. It doesn't matter whatever else you're wearing. I was going to say another just warning for people. I don't think people realize that New York City in the summer it gets hot. And guess how you get around New York City? Oftentimes you take the subway, maybe you're going to walk. But if you are commuting in the morning, and especially if you've worked out beforehand and you're sweating and you're in the subway, you don't want to be showing up with like drenched shirt and like pissed totally. Oh so, my God. Yeah. That is something that 
interns get to navigate. I mean, I live in the South now, so it's hotter here, but at least we travel above ground. One of my last memories of New York City before I moved was walking towards the subway to go to work in the morning. I lived in Tribeca and I was working in Midtown and I was headed down into the subway station. It was one of those like July mornings. And as I started walking down the stairs, army of cockroaches started (gasps) running up the stairs and I was like these things outlived the dinosaurs they are fleeing this 120 degree subway station why on earth am I walking down into it this is absurd and I like immediately called a taxi and I was like I'm not doing this ever again the subway is disgusting and it's gotten so much worse well especially in the summer there's no AC I remember going to Hong Kong they have such a civilized any other country any other country has proper public transportation I I mean in Japan you can like eat off the floor in the train it's so (laughs) unbelievably nice and also so if you're walking and stuff like that this is very like working girl heels for women used to be pretty much like a requirement on the trading floor I do think in the post-covid era you can get away with flats like birdies has really cute flats Mm. that are cushioned inside I wear those all the time for work yeah Yeah, well a lot of people would get like Rothy's and wear those to walk to work and then switch into heels once you're on the trading floor I had a pair of grimy flip-flops that I would throw into my bag just everybody does that right yeah Yeah, everyone's got something they make so many cuter options than they did than we had back in the day I'm like kind of jealous now (laughs) of all the people who have those versus I would literally wear my Asics running shoes that were like bright pink, you know? (laughs) Well, I bought a pair of black walking shoes that I just would walk up to places in and then I would, I would change. Yeah. Like the lobby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like try to like hide somewhere so no one could see me. Right. I I would just leave my heels under my desk if I didn't have a client event that night. Yeah. When I was working on the desk, I would do that. But then when I was doing training, I was a little bit of a nomad. So... (laughs) I would get to carry all my stuff. Oh, what about at networking events? Listen, there's usually an open bar at these things. There's no need to party like you're in college as a summer intern, okay? Hopefully you got all that partying out of your system in school. Do not be the drunk person who starts like dancing at an intern event. I mean, this should go without saying. I was actually in a really awkward spot because I wasn't I wasn't even yet 21 when I was a summer intern. So In my mind, I was like, these people know everything about me because they have my resume. They know I'm not legal to drink at this open bar (laughs) event. They very clearly at the beginning of the program were like, you know, if don't do ever do anything illegal. So I was terrified to ever take a sip of alcohol at any of these intern events. I was probably the most boring person there. But um, but what's so funny is like nowadays we know nobody has no idea. No one's like checking. But I treated everything (laughs) like like it was a test. They like walk around with their roster like, I know. person's birthday is this day she was born in may like (laughs) but yeah so just really try to be thoughtful about how you behave at these things behave professionally the goal of these things is to make lifelong friendships Mm -hmm. but maybe not the same kind of lifelong friendships that you have with your drinking buddies or your friends on social media (laughs) they'll become your drinking buddies eventually oh yeah yeah. okay we're on the same page they will eventually become your drinking buddies but yeah 10 week internship don't start doing fireball shots at the first intern event like that's not a good look again when you show up to the trading floor the next day you better be bright and chipper and not smell like booze (laughs) and be ready to work because if your senior and Analyst associate VP MD is hungover, you better be there to make their lives better. Not yeah. be like, oh man, I'm in there with you. They don't want to hear that. 
And so finally, at the end of the summer, listen, hopefully you get that call and they say, we want you to come back full time and work on the desk. And I think we've said this many times before, the offer is yours to lose. They are really looking to hire everyone out of that analyst class if they can at the end of the summer. The goal of the summer intern program for all these firms is to build the next round of future employees, okay? Yes, they may be challenging you. Yes, they may be testing you. But at the end of the day, they suspect that they want to hire you. They just want confirmation that you can do the work, that you will fit in culturally, and that you will be able to perform under pressure. And so hopefully you get that offer at the end of the summer and then you spend your senior year enjoying yourself knowing that you have this full-time job lined up. But what if you don't get that offer? I actually (laughs) didn't get the offer that I wanted at the end of my summer internship. I had really liked my last, call it three weeks of my summer internship where I finally landed on a desk that had something for me to do, was challenging me intellectually and giving me a way to prove myself. But it turned out that they didn't actually have a need for a full-time analyst that coming year. And that's why they originally hadn't had anyone sitting with them as a summer Mm. analyst. And so I got the call a few weeks after the internship program ended saying, hey, listen, if you want to go to an office in a different city, we've got a Mm -hmm. seat for you there in a product that you never rotated through and have no familiarity with. And for me, so much of the reason why I wanted to be in finance in the first place was I wanted the opportunity to live in New York City for a few right. years after college. Yeah. My parents had both grown up in New York City and I always you, you kind of given me that. Were, yeah, yeah I was born you moved there, there when you were five. Yeah. So you moved to I moved outside. to Boston when yeah. I was five. I always knew that I wanted to just try it out for a couple of years. And being Mm -hmm. in finance was a way to facilitate that. And so to me, getting an offer to go work in an office in a different city wasn't terribly appealing. So what I did was I then took that offer and I basically went through the entire recruiting process again saying, hey, listen, it's not that I was the world's worst summer analyst, although I'll probably give myself like a a C as far as my Mm -hmm. like summer analyst performance. Trust me, I was not great, but (laughs) I wasn't so bad that I just got rejected outright. I got kind of like the consolation prize type (laughs) offer. What can you do for me? And, And do I fit in at your firm? And that's how I was able to get not only a full-time offer, but a full-time offer that was so much better in my eyes than what I had given up as far as the full-time offer I thought I wanted. So I ended up turning that into a win. But if you don't get the offer whatsoever, you can still go to another firm and apply there. You got to be honest about it, right? Yeah acknowledge what your room was for growth. Hopefully the reason you didn't get the offer wasn't that you were doing the 10 fireball shots at the networking (laughs) event, but like whatever the reason was that you didn't get the offer, acknowledge that and demonstrate how you've grown from that. If it's, Hey, listen, I blew it on the final project and I just did not understand that concept. I now know that, Hey, guess what? Working in LBOs or whatever it is, isn't for me. And it wasn't a fit. This is why. And now I'm so passionate about this other thing. And I'm going to show yeah. you why I'm so interested in it. Right. You can always take a failure and turn it yeah. into a success. I mean, it could to be you either were working in sales and trading and that didn't jive with your skill set. Like you think you should be doing banking or vice right. versa. So there's always a story. It's like a lot of it's going to be in how you position it. It's like with everything. I mean, my personal situation I obviously did not have the summer internship because finance was not on my radar until it was too late. And so we talked about this in the interview tips episode, but I did realize that I need to have some kind of 
experience. I need a line item on my resume. It is a, you must check this box if you want to get a full-time job. And so what I did is because I wanted to go into finance, I was staying at Brown for an extra year. And so there was a local Providence brokerage firm. It was Morgan Stanley, although now it's formerly Smith Barney, but it was private wealth management again, which is great, but it's just not what I ultimately wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I was able to get a internship where I was working a couple hours a week while I was doing my master's. And when I then applied, I had that line item on my resume. The irony is when I applied, honestly, people like barely looked at the actual city. They didn't like look at the division necessarily. They'd just be like, oh, look, you were at Morgan Stanley. Great. Like, and then it was, it was a check the box type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so then when I actually went through the formal recruiting process for the full-time positions, I was able to have that story about how I was working so hard to get this. I started in the mailroom. And then I worked myself up and was able to get that full-time job. The and by the way, we say mailroom, not because we were looking down on private wealth management yeah, no, no, no. as the mailroom. It's because you were literally mailing on. Yeah, that's all I did. My job, it was working a couple hours a week and I was doing similar to what you were doing. It was updating addresses or it was like addressing envelopes to like send to people. It yeah, was, I was working in the mailroom on the bank loan day. Yeah, yeah, so that's why I joke about that. But the main takeaway is that a summer internship is critical if you want the full-time job offer. If you don't get the offer you want, whether it's Jen because she was in the wrong city or it was I was in a different city, but also in a totally different division, there's still a way to leverage that. And it's just in the story you tell when you're interviewing. Exactly. And these banks are so much like elite private schools where they basically have their entire alum pool filled up in kindergarten. And then there's various entry points along the way in seventh grade and ninth grade. But you want to get in as early as possible when there are as many seats as possible rather than trying to break in after the fact. Because then that there's only a said, couple of spots. There's, there's only a couple spots. Yeah. And the, the, the barriers to entry are just so much higher. They're going to yeah. be looking for more qualifications. So it can be done, but you need to be better. You need to be more creative in how you present yeah. yourself. You need to be more aggressive than, well, I don't know. I think finance <laughs> sounds cool. And right. I don't have anything on my resume to show that. But here's that like, me. <laughs> yeah, here's how I turned serving ice cream as a summer job into a passion about the market. Okay, you can get away with that as a summer analyst. Much harder to get away yeah. with that three years after college mm-hmm. when you don't necessarily have the resume to back it up. Yeah. So I think the summer analyst experience can be, it can be wonderful for a lot of people. And just remember that as much as the banks are trying you on for size, you are trying them on for size. You are trying to figure out, like you said, Kristen, you might have a summer internship that's not successful simply because the desk or the division that you chose wasn't a good fit for you. That is okay. Better to find that out now than when your entire livelihood depends on it and you've suddenly found yourself pigeonholed in a place you can't get out of. It is a great opportunity to do that. And once you have that line item on your resume, you can leverage it into other things. It's not a bad thing to find out that you don't like it. It's a bad thing to have never tried. I mean, back to what I said to my brother, do the internship because if you don't get in as an intern, you're not getting the job. So do that. You have your option. It's a free option. And then you can decide. And if you decide it's not for you, great. 
you made $10,000 or whatever you get paid for the summer and you have that experience and you move on and you never have to do it again. That's right. So hopefully we've answered the questions that you guys had. And for those of you who are starting, good luck. We hope you all get full-time offers at the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. And if you have any other questions about the internship experience, you know where to find us. Questions at wallstreetskinny.com, on Instagram, on TikTok. Look at all of our social media and stay in touch, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve from valuation to Excel to Bond Fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more. 